Hello and welcome to the Leaders Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on another cloudy day here in the capital city as once again we put the topic of leadership under the spotlight. My name is Scott Challoner and I'm delighted to be joined on today's programme by Sue Vaughan. Sue is the founder and director of Acorns Healthcare, a supported living provider in Hampshire for people with learning disabilities, autism and complex mental health disorders. Sue, very warm welcome to you and thank you ever so much for taking the time to join us this afternoon. Thank you for inviting me. It's a real pleasure, Sue. Now, the purpose of this discussion is to really understand your take on leadership as a whole. And I think it's fair to say that leadership is something that's really being put to the test at the moment, isn't it? With the emergence of COVID-19, no less in these times, and different business leaders in various sectors and also governments having to feel their way through what is ultimately uncharted territory. So tell me, for somebody working within the care sector, such as yourself, very much on the front line. How has it been navigating the last few weeks and months? Because I can imagine the challenges have been tremendous. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. Leadership is crucially important, especially in health and social care. You know, people that are working on the floor with um, the service users need to know that they've got strong leadership that are looking after them and ensuring everything's in place to keep them safe. Um, I do feel... In the beginning, it was quite difficult to um, get any true answers on how we were because we weren't residential care. I think that um, the the social um, system is very difficult for the lay public to understand that not everybody that is supported in care lives in residential homes. Mm. So the clients that we look after with learning disability and autism actually have their own tenancy in their own home. But because they're high need, they have support staff with them 24-7. So this is very difficult. We don't fit into categories of things like PPE and that to come easily. So it has been a mindset for myself as the leader of my company to ensure that I've got everything in place for my staff to be safe. Um, that again was difficult. I mean, I I do feel that the local authority and one of our placing authorities, which is um, Health CCG, have been very supportive in making sure that we've had emails to ensure how we're getting on to get our PPE. Not always as helpful when we haven't been able to get it, how to get it. So we have paid extortionate prices to make sure our staff are covered and safe. Mm. Um. I do think the guidance of um, from our government has been good in the social distancing, what's expected of us. I think that has all come out in a timely manner and we have followed that guidance to the letter. We have had COVID with one of our clients, but again, because we were able to follow guidance, lockdown and use the PPE that I was able to source, we managed to contain that to one person in the house. Um, yeah, it's a nightmare. I think nobody really knows how to navigate through because none of us have ever been through this before. Um, I do hope at the end of it, it does give some research and some look into the structure of social care and where everybody sits within that and, and the understanding of what social care in the community sector looks like because there are different elements to that, that side of care. 
Mm, and it certainly raised question marks this period over the funding of social care long term and prompted the need for an immediate review into that. And that's something that we will get onto in um, a moment for sure. Um, of course, with regards to sort of leadership within your industry, I suppose people management is a heavy part of that, not just working with colleagues and staff members, but also working with adults with complex mental disorders yeah. as you do. Now, in the context of COVID-19, does wearing PPE in front of such people sometimes pose a challenge in itself in that it might trigger some of these oh, people? extremely challenging, extremely challenging. You know, some of our guys, as much as you can use... Um, social stories or pictures for communication, it's quite an aggressive look for them for you to be in a mask because, Mm. you know, people with autism read your facial expressions, how you stand, how you do things. So straight away, this can completely aggravate how they feel, raising their behaviours. So that's been very difficult, very, very difficult. Then when they've been poorly, getting them to wear a mask and then to be, it's, been very very difficult for people with challenging behaviour and autism. Very difficult. And it, the the whole crisis as well has really raised a question, Markham. As I said before, over the funding of the sector going forward. Um, what do you I think the long term? sort of outlook for the sector actually is um, because it does need there, there's a review needed into how it's financed well, in there for certain stuff. <laughs> I'm a big I'm a big advocate of the care and reform act that was brought in in 2015 of where um, the reach standards are used that everybody should have a choice of where they live, who they live with, and um, how they live. I don't feel, and I feel parents that have spoken to me and come to me, I don't feel that we've even reached the goals of the care and reform act yet because I still feel, and as much as it has to be about in cost. I still feel cost is the driver of where people are placed and what happens. I do feel some local authorities and some CCGs are looking beyond that in the bigger picture, but I still feel there are a lot of authorities that go for cost first and um, don't always listen to families or go up the route of making sure that um, our vulnerable adults with these additional needs have that choice. Um, I do think that them having their own tenancies and their own homes in smaller properties does work better. I think large institutional residential settings um, don't give people choice, don't allow them to become part of the community. Um, I think COVID for me has shown that the smaller properties with their own kitchens and their own little flats built in has been made, especially for me, a lot easier to section off the homes. Um, I think the big residential homes have been hit a lot harder because everything's so communal. Um, so I think moving forward, that there should be some, I don't know, lobby or um, groups that get together to look at what's gone well through COVID, what, what part of the sector has been hit the least, and how we can improve on that to support our vulnerable adults. Mm. And I think that's hugely important uh, for the future, Sue. And let's say we do start seeing some positive changes um, in the industry uh, soon, for sure. Um, in terms yeah. of how um, this crisis has been managed um, from your perspective, what I'm interested to understand is how you think the staff at Acorns have um, adapted and sort of composed themselves during this crisis. Because we've heard some incredible stories from the front line of people who've really yeah. brought out the best in themselves and gone above and beyond. Uh-huh. 
they well I think for my team they've done amazing um, to the point of as we said we work with changing behaviour and adults that want very set routines so their you know their day each day is exactly how they want it to be and we went boom into lockdown so all of the things that they would do normally like going swimming stopped literally stopped overnight that again caused its challenges so they have fought out of the box um, I'll give you an example. They contacted McDonald's to get empty boxes and empty wrappers and the chip boxes to make McDonald's at home so that they felt that they were getting their weekly takeaway McDonald's that fitted into the, their routine. They put a hot tub in the garden so that would work on a swimming day. So rather than the fact that they couldn't go to a pool, they got into the hot tub. Um, they've done gardening and they've made um, salt courses in the garden all things that they could try and adapt to their normal routine. Then when the government opened up and said we could go out more, they found different walks to be able to go and do different adventures on the walks to be able to stimulate them to get out and do different things that way. Um, they've also um, locked themselves down to do extra shifts so that only one person is person has been with them for certain days so that that was released people around them to bring infection into them because the only way they were going to be infected is if the staff brought it into them um again we couldn't be like residential and just all lock in for a few weeks because we're in their homes and we haven't got the bed space to be able to sleep like that but they virtually locked themselves into pods so if they were looking after a certain person, they would just look after that person and go from their family to that person so that you knew the risk was only as that group as a family. And, um, yeah, they've just been amazing, completely amazing, and worked so hard mm. with PP on, which is so hot. It's incredibly inspiring, the amount of work that frontline staff have put in and people all across the country, um, even those who've been furloughed, for example, who've been getting involved in uh, community projects as well, just to keep things ticking over and keep vital resources uh, flowing. Um, if we think now about the uh, the long term, uh, Sue, as well, before we do sort of wrap things up on the uh, the programme today, um, I'd be interested to understand what you envision for the next year, both for yourself and for Acorns Healthcare and what you hope to achieve as we move through the COVID pandemic, hopefully, and begin to look to the long term future especially under the uh, the new normal and what that's going to be like? Yeah. Um, for ACORNS, my ambition has always been to show that um, the supported living under the Care Reform Act really does work, that if you get the right environment with the right care package, then people with very complex, challenging needs can be part of the community and live part of the community. Um, within the COVID part of that, I think that will show that that works even more because they will have their own space within a house. Um, so that keeps them safer as well. Within the ACORN staff, I think that the um, good leadership is making sure they've got all the tools in their bag to cope and be able to support people with complex needs. So the fact that they get the good training, they're supported on the floor, they're felt valued, because this is massively that they do feel valued. I mean, you know, we're quite a low-pay sector. I mean, I try to start all of my wages at the living wage rather than the minimum wage, because, um, you know, I want my team to feel valued and that they come in to work and do a good job, so they're paid for that. Um, I would like to see that that's recognised by the government as well. I think... Um, you know, it's great that he's taken on the care badges. All of my staff have got care badges. But I think 
you know, for the government to recognise that when you're doing costings and things, all the things things have to be costed in. Most of the time, you know, you're fighting to get a small uplift to make sure that you cover all of those things, which is why a lot of care companies still pay the minimum wage to make the, the books meet. That's a big issue that's going to have to be um, addressed in future. And let's hope that the calls of the industry are heeded over the uh, the next um, few months and we do see a review into how the sector is ultimately financed. Yeah. And, you know, Sue, I think given um, how informative it's been today, yeah, I'm having you on the programme with us to discuss these very issues, it would actually be great to catch up in the coming months just to see what has changed, if anything, and what that new normal really is like. Yeah, yeah that'd be great. I'd love to do that. Um, can I just say one other thing, though? Mm. In-house... Things did change. I mean, going back when there was a project 2000 nurses, the um, nursing auxiliaries all became part of an MBQ programme and then were recognised by the RCN for the qualifications that they got and brought in. And I feel that some kind of programme like that with care workers, you know, they do their MBQs in training and to give them some kind of accreditation of the training that they do for the hard job that they do, I think it would raise the profile of the industry. I know that's for a bigger subject, but I do think that, you know, if people are valued and respected for what they actually do, it does raise the profile of what they're doing. Mm. I would agree with that. I think that's absolutely uh, right there, there, Sue. And, you know, I think um, until we do touch base again um, in the course of the uh, the coming year and um, address exactly what's changed in the the time between the important yeah. thing to um, note from this is to continue to take care and stay safe with all still going on because we're certainly not out of the woods with this yet and there are still an no. incredible amount of variables as well Agreed, yeah Sue, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the, uh, the programme uh, with us today and thank you ever so much once again for the time taken to join us Thank you very much that was Sue Vaughan speaking, founder and director of Acorns Healthcare. Coming up next on today's programme, I'll be handing over to Jonathan White for his exclusive interview with Liz Field, the chief executive of the Personal Investment Management and Financial Advice Association. That would be the trade body for firms who provide such services for both individuals and families. And I hope you enjoy listening just as much as Jonathan enjoyed speaking with Liz. That is coming up next. I'm Jonathan White, and we're joined today by Liz Field, CEO of PIMFA, Personal Investment Management and Financial Advice Association. What a great mouthful. Liz, thank you very much for coming on today. No, thank you for inviting me. No, not a problem. A complete pleasure. And I think uh, it would be a great place to start, if we may. There's maybe a little bit of background uh, for the listeners. Obviously, PIMFA does work in uh, uh, across the board these days, but of course it was only founded uh, uh, three years ago when, of course, um, MAPFA and uh, the WMA were merged. That's right, yes. Um, I think it really was a, a reflection of of where the industry was going in terms of uh, the provision of financial advice and helping individuals with their um, personal financial futures that we felt that it was necessary for the two bodies to merge together. Um, but both, had, well, certainly the Wealth Management Association and its predecessors have been around for nine, well, nearly 30 years yes. now, actually. But you're quite right. Um, as PIMFA, it's, it's been nearly three years now. And the uh, probably a very wise move because uh, the, the uh, uh, PIMFA has been going from strength to strength uh, since. Uh, what would you say at the moment 
these are, are, are the priorities uh, for yourselves there? Um, I think there are a number of priorities. I mean, we represent a diverse group of um, of businesses which all have one thing in common, which is that they face the clients, they, they face the consumer. Um, so whether that is face-to-face or whether that is um, online, uh, it's all about helping individuals to plan and save and invest um, for themselves and for their families. Uh, but we're going through uh, a number of, of key challenges. I mean, um, looking at a, 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 a macro level, if you like, um, markets are a little turbulent. Um, it's it's very challenging um, to um, kind of navigate the the uh, investment management world. So uh, even more reason why you need a financial advisor and uh, an investment management firm to help you um, because it is quite a complex arena. And that's not helped by the lack of financial education uh, more generally. So um, if you have that as a backdrop uh, and then politically you have what's going on um, with post-Brexit uh, and where the rules are going to come from in future, all of that is still to be negotiated. Um, so it, it's a whole melting pot of issues that uh, that our firms are trying to face. Oh, without a doubt. I think uh, it maybe Lizzie, there's quite a few understatements there in terms of the challenges that are yes. uh, occurring <laughs> at the moment. But there's quite a lot to pick up uh, uh, on the on those points because uh, I, I think it's, 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 a, it's a unique time almost, Lizzie, isn't it, where there are a different set of challenges that advisors and individuals are uh, being confronted with from a lot of different angles. Um, and perhaps if we can start, let's start at the beginning, in fact, you bring up the issue of financial education. Yeah. Now, that's something I think uh, you can talk to anybody in the business and they'd agree with you on that front, Liz. We don't do it properly in this country. Where no. do you think, Liz, it should start from and how do we fix it? Okay, so I think, I mean, the first thing to say is that there's a lot of fantastic effort that we see across the whole of the financial services sector, uh, our sector um, amongst that, where they they try and go into schools um, and provide financial education. You go onto any website um, of some of our members and they've got some great educational material. Um, but there isn't a national framework that 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 wraps itself around the whole of the financial education efforts within our industry. And without that, um, I think they're, they're the, the businesses are facing a lot of um, barriers when it comes to actually getting into schools. Um, I mean, financial education is part of the, um, per, I think it's personal health and social education um, a piece of the curriculum, but there isn't an exam um, that's at the end of it. So when it comes to schools and, and how they're being judged, it's on metrics such as um, exams and without an exam for financial education, um, I think uh, it's go- it's just it's just going to keep coming up against the same barriers. Mm. Um, and financial education is not the same as maths. So uh, what we'd also quite like to see is is that we have more um, kind of money type questions within the maths curriculum, because that will also then bring it to life 
for young people, for uh, youngsters and you know school kids. It will bring it to life because it's about things that they have to deal with or you know that they they deal with on a day-to-day basis, which is money. So the more that we have that is populated in the curriculum that is about money, um, the better, I think, because then we'll start to promote a culture of, of savings and investments, which we so badly need in our in in in, in our yes. um, in our country. Without a doubt, Liz, because and again, you've hit the nail on the head. Because there's only so much that can be done without the involvement of the curriculum in schools. Yeah, uh, and you know, you can, as you've pointed out very well, uh, it, companies can try all they all they might, but it, it's difficult if it's not a, a joint effort. Uh, yeah. And I think as, um, uh, for example, uh, with, with the new government we have, there have already been positive noises at the very least. Whether they become actions is another <laughs> thing entirely regarding what you could consider a, for, a, a far more applied mathematics in, in a lot of uh, uh, the system. But ty- time will tell. And that's something I think we could probably dedicate in the next hour to. Liz, yes, I think you're right. <laughs> we probably shouldn't. Um now, looking at a couple of the points to pick up that you've already raised here, Liz, uh, and it goes back to the word you've already said, which is uncertainty. Uh, it, it seemed as if the markets, investors, people, we've been in a state of limbo for the last three and a half years. Uh, we're talking, of course, three months after, two months after uh, a general election that resulted in a a large majority with the Conservative Party, and therefore at least we have now uh, uh, left the European Union without without dragging you down the political rabbit hole here, at least. Is there a hope now that because of that clarity, we may start to see a far more s- far more certainty in the market? And what are your hopes for the next twelve months? Um, I think. I think that we've still got a little way to go because um, whilst, you know, 31st of January came and went, um, you know, we're now we're now in a negotiation period. We're now in a transition period. Um, and for for UK um, savers and uh, and investors, uh, in terms of where the rules are made, there's still there's still not some clarity about that. Um, you know, we're we're still uh, well, we don't know yet whether we're still tied um, or will be tied to the um, European rulemaking um, down the line. That's still to be negotiated. I mean, we've always said that actually for for savers and investors, we need stability in the markets and we need access to funds. Um, however, it, you know. The, the majority of our of our firms look after UK savers, um, and therefore, a one of the positives we see is the ability to have a a rule book that makes sense for UK savers and investors and UK firms. Um, so there's an uh, we think that there's an opportunity there with definitely without um, watering down regulation. So we're definitely not talking about less regulation. What we're talking about is smarter regulation, which makes sense for firms and makes sense for clients. Um, and as we've got a very unique industry in terms of savings and investments um, um, in, Euro- in Europe, England, or U- the UK rather, and and Ireland are unique amongst our European counterparties. So when you have a European rule book 
or a rule book that is set in Europe that doesn't bear any relation to the model of intermediation that we have here that has caused us problems in the past and we're hoping that we we will be able to affect that in the future with a local regulator and a local rule and a local rulemaker but we will see that is still all part of the of the melting pot so whilst i'd like to be posit- positive and, and optimistic about the market <laughs> um we've still got this period um of uh, of negotiation and uh, until we see where we go to with that uh, and of course, you've got financial services and fisheries amongst yeah, the same two, piece, you know. <laughs> famous fellows, aren't they? Indeed, um, absolutely, absolutely. So we've still got to wait and see, I think. It, absolutely. Um, and it will be a, a interesting year, number, if nothing else. Um, yes. uh, now, you, you, you mentioned there, at least uh, the role of, uh, of course, regulators. I know uh, in the last month or so, obviously, uh, uh, PIMFA has. Uh, given its fair amount of critique to um, the FCA, um, are they at the moment doing their job correctly? Um, I think part, I I don't envy the regulator one iota. Um, uh, I think if you look at the the number of people that they have in the supervisory team and the number of firms that they have to regulate, um, it, it, it is not an enviable job um, by any stretch of the imagination. Yes, we have been critical, not least of all because we are expecting um, better supervision to prevent firms from failing and certainly to prevent firms from failing in the spectacular way that they have uh, in the last few years, which has impacted on the size of the financial services compensation scheme levy. And this levy is paid for by by firms within the industry. And our firms are a majority of small to medium-sized firms, and their bills have gone up exponentially. Our criticism is that, you know, we we don't object to having an FSCS levy um, or, you know, the lifeboat yes. funds to pay, you know, recompense to to consumers. Uh, and, and our view is has always been that the polluter pays. But the polluters have, have long since folded by the time mm. it comes to any payment, which means that good firms are paying for bad firms. So the system, we believe, is broken. Um, and, and I think that is about the regulatory perimeter. Um, you know, what is it that the, that the lifeboat fund should be protecting? The perimeter is too big. So that, you know, what is the nature of risk? That all needs to be um, uh, redefined, we believe, and recalibrated, which then enables you to determine well, if that's what risk is, then how do we protect it and how do we levy for it? Mm. Um, and that is all linked to better supervision. So that is something we have been critical about. Um, we're in the process of finalizing a paper uh, which we um, which we have positioned in a constructive manner, which is these are some of the things that we believe FCA, you should be looking at in your supervisory process, and we want to help you to do your job better. Now, I I know there's no such thing as a 
a magic wand it is and perhaps it'll be putting you on the spot <laughs> but if let's imagine let's let's imagine you did have one just for the just for this afternoon perhaps and you were able to change one thing about that uh, system and perhaps I shouldn't ask this because if your report isn't out yet you might want to reveal something that's in it um, but if you could um, what, what would be your number one priority if we if we were to if I were, my number one priority to, to solve the system in terms of reform in terms of reform, what regulatory yeah, reform yes. you mean? Um, I think. Oh goodness me! The one thing. Um, it is a bit of a mean I, question. Uh, it <laughs> is. Gosh, yes. Wow. Um, I, I think it's about the regulatory perimeter. Sure. Um, I, I think let's have a look at the regulatory perimeter, um, which is you know gives some certainty to to clients about what is protected. And what is not protected, which also then gives some assurity both to them and also to the advisors who have to advise those clients on what what's the pathway to success for them. And what and and I think if there's some clarity around all of that, then everybody will be will be better off. Great. Now I'm conscious of the time here, Liz. It's already catching up with us. So perhaps if we can take a a little step back and uh, and look at. Um, uh, the operations of Pimfer again. It's what Pimfer do, does so well is its ability to build relationships with so many uh, different uh, organisations. Can that really, Liz, be underestimated? The importance of having those working relationships with with the departments and the organisations that you do have. No, I don't. I, I think it's absolutely fundamental um, to any business, actually. But it's certainly something that that we have in the middle of the stick of rock that is PIMFA. Uh, I mean, we talk about the, you know the values that we have as an organisation. We we are a small organisation, uh, and we can't do our job unless we work in partnership and collaboration with others. So, relationship building. Um, and maintaining and creating a good foundation of relationships is absolutely fundamental to what we do. Without a doubt. And I, I think that's the key point, Liz, isn't it, that that's so applicable to any realm, whether it's business or, or politics or uh, any areas of life. And I think and because of the time here, we, we, I, I must start to wrap up. But um, perhaps I can ask, Liz, looking forward, and I know the next 12 months is full of uncertainty, what are uh, the plans PIMFA has for it nonetheless? Um, so I think our, well, our key priority this, this next 12 months is, is, is to be talking um, much more, um, and we, we, we have been lobbying um, a fair bit on this, but because of Brexit, um, our ability to actually kind of get in to um, see the policymakers on both sides, I think, to have that dialogue has been a challenge. Um, but we're finding that that is changing. They, you know, they, they want to hear from us. So I think our priority is around that regulatory perimeter um, and what does what does regulation look like for uh, for us moving forward. But at the same time, it's not just about the future of regulation, but it's also about the future of supervision because the two of those go hand in hand. Um, so those those two um, are kind of what are, are the main 
the main areas over the course of this next year. Having said that, um, you know, we have a manifesto that's got six that's got six pillars in it um, and regulation and supervision and the future of that is is just um, kind of, is just one of those things. There are a whole host of another of other things promoting the sector as a as a force for good and as an integral part of a of an individual's kit bag um, for financial and mental well-being uh, is is another key strand of, of activity. So I think future of regulation, future of supervision. And then promoting the sector as an integral part of uh, of um, everybody's kit bag in building their personal financial futures. Well, Liz, there might never be a, a more important year, uh, or has not been in a while, that will determine the future of all of those things. And perhaps never a year where so many people pay attention to what happens to Britain's fish stocks. Um, but it's been Liz, an absolute pleasure discussing that uh, leadership with you today. Uh, I hope very much we can sit down perhaps later this year uh, when there's a bit more clarity perhaps and talk through a few more things. Thank you. I would love to do that. Liz, thank you very much. Thank you. This has been the Leaders Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Challoner. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.